All right, you guys, welcome. Welcome to Freedom Fellowship. Um, I have a confession to make before we get into the scriptures for tonight. Um, I really have a hard time often with this culture in which we live. I struggle. Um, I read the Bible and uh, the Gospels and the New Testament and I, I look at what we're doing here today and it's, it's wonderful, but I look at our culture and go, okay, Lord, help me live as a Christian in this day and age. And I, I, I don't know if anyone else has that struggle with modern technology, conveniences, and everything else that we do, our busyness, our jobs, our responsibilities. And then we go to the Word of God and this Word is our life. This Word is truth. The Word is alive and active and and I get it in me, and I go, Lord, where, where is this disconnect? So um, maybe that's something you struggle with, too, and let's all come to this conclusion together that we just got to be in the Word and know the Word because when we're speaking with someone about the most important thing in the universe, and that is the gospel and the living God, the one true God, because there's a lot of small gods out there, small g gods, um, we know the one true God, and we need to be able to explain him to others. So... We're in Isaiah 53 tonight, and I want you to open up to Isaiah 53. I have the uh, New King James Version printed out. I have like three different versions that I look at, but for here, I know you guys use the New King James, and that's what we are going to be in for the most part tonight. So the name of the message, from the garden to the grave, back to glory. Now, Pastor Landon gets to talk about the glory more than I do because that's Sunday morning. Friday, <laughs> Friday is here, but Sunday's coming. So um, let's see, verses, let's, let's just open up to, uh, it's only 12 verses, so we're just going to read through them, and then we've got a lot of explaining and a lot of other um, verses that will complement Isaiah 53, give us a better understanding of the sin-bearing Messiah or the servant, the suffering servant. So 53 verse 1, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for Jesus. Thank you for having it all planned out for your glory. 
that would come to fulfillment. And uh, we just praise you for what we celebrate on this Good Friday. And we ask that you'd speak to us and help us to know your word better and encourage our hearts tonight with what you did for us and help us to understand it even more. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, verse 4 and 5, of course, key parts of this prophecy, and this is a messianic prophecy, and it starts in 52, the last three verses of 52, which we're going to get to in just a few minutes. But I want to just go to, you don't have to turn there, Matthew 8, 16 and 17 is one of many scriptures confirming Jesus as Messiah, and that's important to remember tonight. We wouldn't have uh, the New Testament without the Old Testament. You know, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies, the prophetic scriptures, and in Matthew 8, 16 and 17 it said this, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. That was to fulfill a prophecy, and Jesus fulfilled many, hundreds. Now, we tend to forget how many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And some would, today, uh, I've heard churches minimize the Old Testament. I don't get it. I don't get that at all. Um, Because Jesus came to fulfill so much. Let's just go through a handful of these. And this is what I gave you, which I passed out earlier, which you can look at later because the scripture references are there. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem of a virgin. He will be called Emmanuel and live in Nazareth. He will be a prophet like Moses Enter Jerusalem triumphantly, riding on a donkey. Some of these are pretty specific, aren't they? Uh, He will be rejected by his own people and betrayed by one of his followers for 30 pieces of silver. The Messiah will be mocked, taunted, spit upon, severely beaten, and flogged. He will be tried and condemned to die by crucifixion. His hands and his side will be pierced. His garments will be divided by casting lots. His bones will not be broken. The Messiah will bear the sins of many and pray for those who kill him. He will suffer with sinners, die with criminals, and be buried by or with a rich man. The Messiah will be raised from the dead. He will make his enemies a footstool for his feet. He will be exalted and will sit at God's right hand. Just, and these are just a handful, right? There, you know, there's many, many more as you read through the Gospels and the New Testament that Paul refers to the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus quite a bit. But before the exaltation, which we'll get to Sunday morning, and in Philippians 2, we went through this last November. You probably don't remember this, but Philippians uh, 2, 5 through 11, it talks about 5 through 8 is the humiliation and how Jesus humbled himself to become a man and live among us. And then the exaltation from verses 9 through 11 in Philippians 2. So before the exaltation, Jesus had to endure the humiliation. And after that last supper, Jesus entered the Garden of Gethsemane knowing exactly what he had to do, knowing exactly what was going to happen to him. And yet, he had one last meal with his closest friends, sang some hymns, from, uh, sang some psalms, and then went out to the garden on that historic night. Now Hebrews 12, 2 encourages believers to look back to Jesus and remember the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's interesting to note that Jesus, for the joy, he saw the joy, of glory and his finished work completed. And that joy set before him enabled him to miraculously endure the most amazing suffering for us. So just a little longer on earth and the glory he had with the Father before time began would be his once again if he would just endure the anguish, the coming anguish of his soul and the horrors of the torture and the cross He would soon be resurrected, glorified, and highly exalted. Jesus wore a crown of thorns that we might wear the crown of life. It was in that garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, praying that his matchless obedience won the victory. He went through it for our sake. Matthew 26, 38 says, as he was praying, actually before he went to pray, he said to them, 
My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And you know that's the story. He goes back a couple times and found them sleeping. Um, Luke 22, 42 through 44 says, when Jesus was praying to the Father about what he knew he had to do, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in agony, he was praying fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling on the ground. Now, this is a legitimate medical condition, by the way. I don't know if you guys realize that. There's, this is legitimate. A person can die, actually, from the weight of such heavy sorrow. The magnitude of Jesus' grief apparently caused the blood capillaries under his skin to burst from the extreme emotional pressures he was undergoing, and the blood escaped through his pores. So when it says his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground, that wasn't this hallucination. That is the stress, the, what Jesus felt, the anguish of what he knew he had to do. And it's amazing that he said, your will be done. Um, it was an outward result, the, the blood through his pores, of what our Lord felt as he who knew no sin at all became sin for us. In a matter of minutes on this quiet night in the Garden of Gethsemane, just after praying, for the Father's will to be done, a mob would arrive in the garden. Led by the chief priests, carrying torches, they sought the light of the world. Isn't that ironic? Dark night, carrying torches. They're looking for the light of the world. Jesus. A detachment of soldiers came with the chief priests and the mob, and they were carrying weapons to arrest the Prince of Peace. Jesus passed the test that night, but his disciples did not. They were confused, unprepared, um, and they fled, leaving Jesus alone. They didn't understand the scriptures. They didn't understand as much as he explained it to them. The Son of Man has to be arrested and handed it over to the, the hands of men, be tortured, crucified, and on the third day will rise. They didn't get it. As believers, we will face times of severe testing in this life. That's why the hope of the next is so wonderful for us. Amen? There will be times, like with Jesus in the garden, there will be times when only the only thing that will give us relief is direct communion, communication with our Father, that we can go right to him because of the veil in the temple that was torn, right? Isaiah's gospel, um, some people call it Isaiah's gospel, uh, verse, chapter 52, verses uh, 13 through 15, and chapter 53 because it's about the suffering servant of the Lord that brings salvation to many. So this prophecy about Jesus, the Lamb of God, was written over 600 years uh, before Jesus came to earth, and it is so detailed, and the Gospels are too, and some of the Old Testament prophecies are too, but it's such an accurate prediction. What we are about to read, or actually what we already read in Isaiah 53, so accurate and detailed about the suffering and the death of the Messiah to the point of describing Uh, the condition of thirst and bones and the pain. It's just amazing to me. So Isaiah writes about the humiliation and exaltation of the servant of the Lord. And for context, this messianic prophecy starts in Isaiah 52. I'm going to read, uh, starting in verse 13, just three verses, and we'll refer to these. Um, Clearly, clearly, historically, the ancient Jews understood this passage to be of the Messiah. Now, not all the Jews today agree that this is about Jesus, but when you read this, hindsight for us is 20-20. We look back and go, wow, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. So Isaiah 52, 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage or his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Now in verse 13, the New King James uh, capitalizes my servant, rightly so, because the context refers to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
earlier, you don't have time to get into this right now, but if you want to take a note down, earlier in Jesus' ministry, Matthew quotes Isaiah 42, 1 through 5. Isaiah 42, 1 through 5, when it talks about, you know what, just let me read this real quick. Because <laughs> Matthew quotes Isaiah. You, when you, it's just, it all works together so well here. Matthew 12, 16 through 21 says this. Uh, Jesus warned them not to make him known yet, right? That it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, verse 18, now remember he's quoting Isaiah 42, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. Back to 52.13, where it says, He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. The words of the Lord in this section, notice, how, notice what it starts off with. This is the prophetic, the messianic prophecy from uh, 52.13 all the way through 53.12 in Isaiah. The section talks about his victory first before it gets into the horrific detailed sufferings. It's interesting, before his suffering is announced, his victory is assured. Interesting the way that starts out here. The point is clear. The Messiah will triumph. 14, verse 14, many were astonished. Uh, His appearance or his visage was marred more than any man. This speaks of the cruel and who knows how long and how many soldiers were beating Jesus to a pulp. Uh, He endured that and took it. Uh, He was beaten so badly, bloody, swollen on his face, and his body and his face hardly looked like a man. That's what this is explaining here. His appearance was marred more than any man. The result was so shocking, people were astonished when they saw him. So he shall sprinkle many nations, it says in verse 15. Sprinkling is often associated with cleansing, cleansing from sin in the Old Testament. But the Messiah and his saving, atoning work extends beyond Israel, of course, as we know. Thank God to the Gentiles, to many nations. And 15, uh, kings will shut their mouths when they spoke against him before it was in blindness. But now what had not been told them, they will see. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here we see that partnership between the Father and the Son for that purpose, laying on Jesus our sins to accomplish that work on the cross. Verses 7 through 9, the suffering servant of the Lord, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Did I skip? Oh, I I did skip. Sorry, never mind. (laughs) I got to go way back. I jumped ahead a page. I'm in Isaiah 53 here. Um, did I? Wow, I skipped way ahead, didn't I? Yes. Whew. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Um, Acts chapter 8. Turn to Acts chapter 8 before we get to Isaiah 53 again. Acts chapter 8. If you don't have your Bible, I'll read this amazing story that I wish more of these things would happen to us in Acts chapter 8. That's what I skipped over. All right, so... Um, 27, verse 27 through 37, another New Testament confirmation where the angel of the Lord tells Philip to take a specific road, a certain road, from Jerusalem to Gaza. He comes across a man from Ethiopia who happens to be reading Isaiah 53. (laughs) This is amazing. So Acts 8. 27, a eunuch of great authority. Now, this is the interesting thing, another point of this passage, that sometimes God will bring people across our paths that could, if we share the gospel with them, they're going to have great influence. This man had great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. As he was sitting in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah, 
Then he said, I'm sorry, then the spirit said to Philip, go, go near this chariot. And Philip ran out and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? Now, stop right there for a second. Can you imagine a coffee shop or a grocery store or a restaurant? We walk by someone, we hear them reading a Bible verse out loud. How often does that happen, right? But wouldn't that be incredible? It's like, do you, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And another translation says, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? He asked Philip to come down and sit with him. The place in Scripture where he read was this. Now we're in Isaiah. Here's what he was reading. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip, I ask you, of, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to water. The eunuch said, here's some water. What stops me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So here's this eunuch reading Isaiah. Philip comes along and asks him, do you know what you're reading? Explains it to him. The, the guy believes Jesus is the Messiah and says, he's, he's the Christ, the Son of God. And so he gets baptized. So it doesn't always happen that easy in modern times, does it? We don't always run into people that are reading the Bible and we can say, hey, do you, do you know what you're reading? But this was an amazing story and I think it was for that reason, just to be led by the Holy Spirit and you never know who you're going to come across, that, what kind of influence they could have. So in Isaiah 53, first one talks about the arm of the Lord being revealed. So the arm of the Lord in Scripture means strength, power, the might of God being expressed, and in this case, talking about the suffering servant, Jesus. That would express the arm of the Lord, the power of the Lord, what Jesus was going to go through. Isaiah 52.10, don't turn there, I'm just going to quote this. It says, The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, that all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And he did, Isaiah 52.10. So back to in Isaiah 53, it talks about a root out of dry ground. And it's referring to you know, Jesus growing up in Galilee. God can bring the most wonderful things out of humble beginnings. And what this is saying, dry ground. Remember when someone said, uh, um, Nazareth, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, Galilee evidently was known as kind of dry ground in that light too. Maybe not as bad as Nazareth. But it says he has no form or comeliness, no beauty that we should desire him. So in other words, Jesus was not like Jim Caviezel, who played in The Passion of the Christ. He was not a handsome, striking man. He was an average Jew. So this is just saying he had nothing special that would attract people to him. Um, God did not use good looks to draw people as an advantage, in other words. Um, I like what Alan Redpath said. He's an author and evangelist. He said, these days it appears that we must dress up the gospel to make it more attractive. And that's what a lot of churches I know try to do. Um, he said, we, we have to use the, the methods of technique, which must be smart, well-presented, and streamlined. He said, there must be something about the presentation of the gospel that will appeal to people to what is called the modern mind. I wonder if we stop to think that in our efforts to make the gospel message attractive, we are drawing a curtain across the face of Christ in his humiliation. The only one who can make him attractive is the Holy Spirit. And that's what a lot of people in churches try to do today, make Jesus attractive. And God didn't do it. In this, what we're reading about the suffering servant, and the humiliation, God didn't make Jesus attractive. He, made, he allowed him to be beaten beyond recognition. In verse 3, it even refers to Jesus as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And it says, um, we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. This again shows that you know, men value physical beauty and charisma maybe. 
uh, far more than God does. Remember, God's, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outer appearance. That was a lesson that, uh, that uh, we heard from uh, King David. Um, we esteemed him, I'm in verse 4, Isaiah 53, 4. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So mankind saw the suffering Jesus, but didn't maybe understand the reasons why. But Isaiah, in the very next verse, now he's about to explain it, it was for us. Verse 5 said he was wounded for our transgressions. This is why he allowed his son to be beaten and tortured and crucified to bear our sins, our griefs, our sorrows. Wounded, in one translation, I think that's the New American Standard, is literally pierced through. Actually, wounded, I think, is New King James. Pierced through. Jesus was pierced through or wounded for our transgressions. It was in our place that he suffered. And verse 5, by, our, by his stripes we are healed. Here, Isaiah sees through the centuries, over 600 years, right, to know that the Messiah would be beaten, not only the way he was beaten, that's my, that's my reminder, my warning, I have to do this, <laughs> warning, but he was beaten with many stripes, and that's the lashes that Jesus took. He not only was beaten by the soldiers with fists and with the rod, but with lashes. He was flogged. And that was Isaiah, by his stripes, the stripes of blood, the stripes of pain, we are healed. And it's interesting here, real quick, uh, past, present, future, it says we were healed, we are healed, by his stripes we are healed, and yet we will be healed, won't we? When Jesus returns, we will ultimately be healed when our bodies are glorified. So it's a past, present, future. It comes up every now and then with the word saved, delivered, healed. In 2 Corinthians 1.10, it says, He delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. So it says he did deliver us, he is delivering us now, and he will deliver us. And that's why I find this, this verse in Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes we were healed, we are healed, and we are going to be healed. So God's ultimate healing for us is future. Uh, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. <laughs> it's not a compliment that we are compared to sheep, the most stupid, headstrong animals. Maybe not the most, but we've turned against God's way, everyone the Lord has laid on, on, on him the iniquity, the iniquity of us all. Um, and then he was afflicted. And then here's another thing uh, in the suffering servant. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't retaliate. Do you think Jesus had the power to retaliate? But he didn't. He opened not his mouth. He was led. He, he allowed them to lead him as a lamb to the slaughter. Isaiah's point here, Jesus chose to be silent. But make no mistake, he was not helpless. John 10, 18 reveals again that Jesus purposely laid down his life. John 10, 18 says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. So make no mistake, Jesus allowed himself to go through this and be treated the way he was. So 53.8 now, this is interesting. Some argue Isaiah 53 is about Israel. It's not about a human being or God. It's not about the Messiah. It's about Israel. Some would say that. But it says he was cut off from the land of the living for the, transgression, the transgressions of my people he was stricken. The suffering servant would die, cut off from the land of the living. This demonstrates that the prophecy cannot be about a nation because Israel was dispersed, not dead. And Israel is still alive today, came back after they were dispersed and spread out. They were not killed, dead, annihilated. Um, verse 9, they made his grave with the wicked. What does that mean? Well, he died in the company of thieves, of wicked men, among them, among other sinners, Jesus wasn't a sinner, but guess where the tombs were? Um, and here's an interesting point. At, 
his death, he was buried with the rich. Another translation says um, with or there's, there's two different words there. Um, anyway, your translation might have something different, but this says, but with the rich, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He was a very wealthy man. That's where this prophecy is fulfilled. You're thinking, well, Jesus wasn't rich, his disciples, and maybe some, some women who were maybe helping support their ministry, but they weren't rich. Here's where that comes into play. Joseph of Arimathea, a very wealthy, prominent man. And he had done no violence. Uh, Jesus did not fight back, of course. Despite all the pain and humiliation, the Messiah did not sin by his words or actions. Verses 10 and 11, we get a glimpse of his victory. But look closely at what this says now. Verse 10, it was ordained by God. The suffering was ordained by God. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I think another translation says to crush him him it pleased god to put his own son to grief i don't know about you but i i have a hard time grasping that it pleased god you know what jesus went through we don't we we can't see it god but god put his son through that and it pleased him this was god's plan prophesied by isaiah hundreds of years before it happened this was god's victory what Jesus would accomplish Sunday morning. Not Satan's victory, not man's triumph, the Romans or the Jews that they killed Jesus. They killed him, but they didn't win. This was God's plan, God's victory. Even as Jesus was punished as if he were a sinner, he was performing the most holy service ever offered to God, a sacrifice, becoming sin, a final sacrifice once for all substitutionary atonement and the verse 10 he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the lord shall prosper in his hand he lives on he lives to see his seed his spiritual descendants verse 11 he shall be he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied the messiah will look upon his work his finished work in the end no regrets Every bit of suffering and agony will have been worth it and brought about a satisfactory result. That's what it means in verse 11. He will be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he will bear their iniquities. We are justified and we were justified immediately upon believing. And Jesus did the work. We can't do anything else to earn it justification. Jesus is now our advocate and judge. And fortunately, he will not judge our eternity, but he will judge all else, everybody else. Um, advocate, what does that mean? He stands in the gap for us. Um, the sinners brought to the courtroom bench, right? Jesus stands in to answer. Like he's a, uh, the Christian defender, the public defender, he answers the accusations. He points to his head where the blood came out. He points to his side. He points to his hands and his feet. He pleads the blood so triumphant, triumphantly that the judge looks at Jesus who's standing in for us and says, let them go. Set them free. Let them go from the pit. Jesus provided the ransom. Uh, wrapping it up in verse 12. Um, he said, I will divide I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. That's victory language, dividing the spoil. The image of dividing the spoil after a victorious battle. We see the Messiah ultimately triumphs, but what he had to get, go through and get through, right? Um, Paul described, we mentioned Philippians 2, 10 and 11 earlier, and you know the exaltation is that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, whether someone in this life trusted in Jesus or not, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. He poured out his soul to death, verse 12, and was numbered with transgressions. Interesting way to end the prophecy on the Messiah because you got the victory there, right? And then it comes back to he poured out his soul 
and he was numbered with transgressions, crucified between two thieves. But I just found it interesting that it does, talks about the suffering, and then it comes back, gives the, the, it alludes to the victory and the exaltation, then it comes back to poured out his soul to death. Let's talk about that just for a minute. This just speaks of the totality of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Being poured out means that there's nothing left. Being poured out, there was nothing. Our Lord Jesus was numbered with sinners. Uh, who could be afraid of the one who's, uh, whose name appears on the same list with us? All our condition of unrighteousness and sin, Jesus has taken and all that Jesus has comes to us. And Psalm 22 says this, that this idea of being poured out. 22.14 says, it's another, got some messianic prophecy here. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. It's amazing to me. To even, I can barely grasp and understand that. Pastor Alistair Begg commented on this. He said, did earth or heaven ever witness a sadder spectacle than this in soul and body our lord felt himself to be weak as water poured upon the ground the placing of the cross in its socket had shaken him with great violence had strained all the ligaments pained every nerve and more or less dislocated all his bones burdened by his own weight the impressive sufferer felt the strain increasing every moment of those six long hours. Sensations that our Lord endured we could not have faced, and unconsciousness would have had to come to our rescue. But he drained the cup, poured out, tasted every drop, and as we kneel before our ascended Savior's throne, let us carefully remember the way by which he prepared it as a throne of grace for us. Let us in spirit drink of his cup that we may be strengthened for our hour of heaviness whenever it may come. That was Alistair Begg. So the final points on Isaiah 53, 12 and the end of this messianic prophecy here, numbered with transgressors. We would be shocked if a godly woman looked at a list of prostitutes and said, put my name, put my name down with them. We would be shocked if a, if a godly man looked at a list of murderers and rapists and said, number me among them. But that's exactly what Jesus did in this last verse. He was numbered, listed with the transgressors. Doesn't that give you a new understanding of how Jesus had to identify with sinners? But, of course, Jesus doing it to a much greater degree than you and I would because we are sinners, fortunately saved by his grace. So he bore the sin of many. Over and over again, the prophet emphasizes the fact the servant of the Lord, the Messiah, suffers on behalf of and in the place of guilty sinners. And in the very last couple words in this messianic prophecy, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Can you imagine, because I can't, Jesus prayed for those who crucified him, saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Wow. But the good news is he prayed for them. He prayed for the sinners then. Now, guess what? He's at the right hand of the Father. He still has a ministry of intercession, but guess who it's for? us. He intercedes for the saints at the right hand of the Father. I want to close with two things. Before I read one last scripture, I want to share something. Um, how many of you are, are familiar with the uh, ministry of Nabil Qureshi, who went home to be with the Lord a year ago? He wrote a book, um, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And he was an apologist, an amazing evangelist, and look up his stuff, Nabil Qureshi. I want to read what he said toward the end of a sermon he preached in Houston um, a couple months before he, he died. He had, I think it was a stomach cancer that it would, would take his life. Nabil Qureshi, um, and I'm not exalting him as a hero or any other man, 
but these are examples that we can follow and help us put our lives and our pains and our suffering, along with what we just read about Jesus on the cross, this helps us put it in perspective. That's why I share it with you now. He said this at the end of his sermon. But let's say the worst should happen, and let's say God should take me through this disease. I had all these months to prepare for, all this time to spend with my wife and my daughter, more memories to make, loose ends to tie up, tell my parents I love them, write more works, write more things to tell the world. This didn't have to happen. God could have taken my life just like that. The end could have come just like that. It happens for people all around the world every day. So who am I to say that this is a tragedy of the worst order? It's not. There's much worse that's going on in the world today. But no matter what is going on, I cannot think of something worse than being crucified. And all, of all the reasons to be crucified, I can't think of anything worse than to be crucified because I love the people who are crucifying me. To save the very people who are crucifying me, that is the worst. And I think about what Jesus went through for us on the cross, and I start feeling self-pity, or, or when I start feeling self-pity, and I start thinking what is happening to me, I just turn my eyes to Jesus and say, Jesus, what you did for me on the cross far outweighs anything I'm going through right now. There's nothing I'm going through that compares to what you went through for me. I will not forsake his name in the face of any pain, in the face of any suffering. I will not forsake his name. And here's the thing, finally to close with, if death should come, should the worst happen, should life end, guess what? It's actually only beginning. Only because of what Christ has done for all of us on the cross. It's just the beginning of our real life. Though we're seeing life as if through a veil right now, and we see beauty, we see colors, we see sunsets, we taste tastes, we hear music, we see art, we think, this is also beautiful. There is nothing, this is nothing compared to what waits for us on the other side of this life. And we have the assurance that we will be there because Jesus said it is finished because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so how can we ask the question, God, why is there suffering if you're a loving God? The only way we can ask that question is if we are so hopelessly myopic and short-sighted on our own pains, instead of seeing who God is, what he has done for us, and what is procured for us in the afterlife. If we stop being so hopelessly self-centered and micro-focused on the pain that we experience in this life, we'll begin to see the greatness of God and eternal picture in which he has procured for us life and life forevermore in the face of an eternal life of bliss with our creator. No amount of suffering or pain on this earth can shake our confidence in him. Nabil Qureshi. And I want to close with Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. It reminds us, As it is appointed for men once to die, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those, here's the great part, you guys, to those who eagerly wait for him, is every one of you eagerly waiting for him? Yes. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Praise God. Lord, thank you so much for your word and thank you for these truths. Thank you for, for me, I think, and hopefully for more of us to regain some perspective tonight because of what you went through. And God, thank you. Uh, we can't thank you enough. We praise you for your broken body, brutal, tortured, unrecognizable face and body. And we thank you for your shed blood for us that cleanses us from our sins. Oh God, help us to live for you. 
God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom and help us to proclaim your goodness and your love for others because we need you, Lord, and we know this world needs you. Thank you for calling us, for choosing us, and thank you for setting us free. Thank you, Lord, that by your stripes, Jesus, we are healed and we will be ultimately healed. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for this resurrection weekend to celebrate truth and life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor David, for preaching the word. Wow, no wonder Isaiah 53 has been referred to as the gospel of the Old Testament. Um, I've also heard it referred to as the Mount Everest of Old Testament prophecy. There's so much. I mean, you just glee. I mean, there's so much in there. Great passage to study through. Uh, tonight, we want to conclude our time together uh, by partaking of the Lord's Supper uh, of the bread and the cup. And I just have a couple comments in two passages of Scripture as we uh, consider. And I think as we consider Good Friday, it's neat to think that it is 2019. And here we are in the western part of the world, you know, thousands of miles from where Jesus laid down his life almost 2,000 years ago. And we're still remembering today. People are still coming to faith in the living God and being set free from their sin and forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. Do you guys think that's a miracle? That's huge. You know, I don't know how long we have, but until, until he comes, I think it is good to take a good Friday to take some time out together, to come together and remember him. And I love that we can conclude our time together tonight by partaking... of one of the few privileged sacraments we get to do as the church. How many books are in the Bible, guys? 66, right? And the cool thing is, guys, throughout, it represents uh, the history of mankind, and it presents to us our Savior, Jesus, the suffering Messiah that we talked about tonight, the scarlet thread. How many of you guys have heard of that before? It's throughout the Bible, all 66 books speak to this redemption work that the Christ would do to save us, guys. And he paid for all of our sins, all of the evil. evil. And I just love the Bible because it is the story of redemption, guys. It's what we were talking about tonight. This is what Jesus did for us. C.S. Lewis, you guys may know him. He's a great Christian apologist. I want to quote him real quick. When Christ died, he did not die for societies or states, not for impersonal masses of humanity, not even for men, but for each man and woman individually. And Lewis went on to expound on that thought, and he just really laid out, if you were the only human being. Think about this for a second. If you were the only person upon this planet, guess what? God still would have came and became a man and died on the cross for you so your sin could be forgiven. If it was just one person, just you, that's how much God loves you. And I love the proclamation of the suffering servant. I love that David hit on that tonight. In chapter 52 of Isaiah, I'm glad he went through those verses. But as we come to the Lord's table, I want you guys to catch. Because he says, behold, my servant shall deal prudently. Behold, it's, <laughs> when the Bible says that, it says, don't miss this point. I'm going to lay out some really cool stuff in this prophecy. Get it. Behold it. Don't Give your attention to it. And if you guys look at the last right here, they shall consider. They shall consider. 2,000 years later, guys, we're considering tonight. I love it. And then he goes on to say, my servant. Well, who is that? That's God's servant. What do we do when we partake together weekly as we gather and come to the Lord's table? Aren't we beholding? Aren't we remembering? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me and that's what we get to do here together tonight we get to remember god's servant his only begotten son and he shall deal prudently he shall prosper should succeed and did he guys if you don't know the answer you need to come sunday morning 
I love Matthew 20, 28. We'll close with this. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for what? Many. And wasn't that in Isaiah 53? His life would be given for many. And that's exactly as many who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a good God. Because we couldn't save ourselves. That's why he had to do it. So let's partake together of the bread in the cup. Verse 14 says, So his visage was marred more than any other man. Because of what Jesus has done, we have been forgiven and given eternal life. He is the resurrection of life. Do you believe this? And if you do, he's promised eternal life. And it's been really cool. I've been studying the book of Revelation with a few guys from church. Brian's here tonight. And we just went through this last week in heaven Everything is perfect except for one. It is a lamb who's been scarred. Everything will be made perfect. But there is one who's going to bear scars for all time. and is the lamb of God. And guys, we're going to remember. We get to look back now. One day we will be in glory with him and we will get to look upon him. And we're going to remember that he was marred more than any other man. Guys, that picture that we threw up earlier... That doesn't even come close to what Jesus actually went through for you and I. He had a bag threw over his head. He was beaten. Thorns put upon his head. Whipped 39 times. Crucified upon that cross. He wasn't even recognizable as a man, guys. He was marred more than any other man. And why did he do that? It's because he loves us. Aren't you thankful? I sure am. Father, we just thank you again. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for just <laughs> demonstrating that love by laying your life down on the cross. You didn't have to do it, God, but you did. And it was a joy for you because you love us. <laughs> you love us all. And there are many more that need to, to know this love, to know you, Jesus, to find the Savior of this world, to be forgiven of their sins. Thank you for the grace that has found us. Thank you for this little bit of time that we've had this Good Friday to be able to consider you. God, this just didn't happen. You knew all along what would have to happen for humankind to be redeemed, to be made right before you again. And we are so thankful that you were willing to do it for us. So once again, we say thank you. And we say we love you back. We don't say that lightly. But we do because <laughs> you first loved us. How can we not? We love you, Dad. And it's in your name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen.